Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company. It is 10 minutes past 2 on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon up here in the Highfield. Wonderful to be with you. Wonderful to be able to share some thoughts with you on Judaism 101.9. Now, it's not often that... Um, when we're sitting here together and having a chat on a Wednesday afternoon, that we can say that every single day from now until we speak again on Judaism 101.9, that every single day between now and then is an important date in the Jewish calendar. It may sound to be a little bit trivialized or a little bit strange because, after all, Every single day of the year is an important date in the Jewish calendar. Um, some are just a little more important than others. And when we think about the days that lie ahead, it truly is phenomenal that every single day, from tonight, from tomorrow, all the way through until next time we have a chat, um, that every single day is of significance. It is really, really important and has been singled out for special mention in uh, the Talmud, in Jewish law, in uh, everything that's got to do with anything um, Torah-based. And let's take a look at each one of those details. Well, first of all, the lineup for the next few days is a phenomenon that we know as Shloshes Yemei Hagbola. We talk about three special days. And these three special days, days of um, kind of limitation, but it's really days in which there was a pre- preparation that was going on by the Jewish people for the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Remember, that's what we're going to be celebrating. We're going to talk a lot about that in just a moment. But the three days of preparation started in earnest three days before Shavuot. Now, if you calculate those three days and we work backwards, knowing that Shavuot is on Saturday night and Sunday, Sunday night and Monday, so let's take it as Sunday, the three days preceding it are Shabbos, Friday, and Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. Today, Wednesday, so from tonight. We go into what is called those three days of Hagbola, those three days of getting ourselves ready, of earnestly striving for spiritual purity, of really, really trying to do whatever we possibly can to be spiritually and physically properly prepared for the receiving of the Torah once again, as we will do next week, Sunday, on the first day of Shavuot. Now, these three days, therefore, are days that are kind of already in the build-up, in the run-up to Shavuot. They are significant And according to all the various different customs, these three days mark the end of the period of mourning that um, we may have been keeping up until now because there are different customs, as we've spoken before, uh, pertaining to the mourning for the students of Rabbi Akiva who perished during the days between Pesach and Shavuot or the days of the Svirata Omer. We now enter a phase where really all eyes are on Mount Sinai. All, all eyes are on the receiving of the Torah once again. All eyes are on Shavuot, and therefore our spirits are lifted. Therefore we are involved in these days, um, not quite yet of absolute celebration, but it's getting there. We are getting things ready. We're kind of uh, tuning ourselves to uh, the the music and the fanfare and the enjoyment and the singing and the 
spiritual um, upliftment that we're going to experience on Shavuot. We are in the throes of getting that all ready. We're making sure that we're prepared. And therefore, these days are days of joy, days of happiness, positive times, good times for the Jewish people that begin in earnest tonight, tomorrow, and over the next couple of days. There are various different customs during these days pertaining to uh, haircutting and weddings and so on. Um, so you'd need to ask your own personal local rabbi, um, most permit weddings during these three days, so they could Actually, practically be weddings from tonight, according to most authorities, but there are different customs in different communities, and therefore I would advise that you speak to your own rabbi pertaining to that. That's if you want to quickly get married uh, tonight or tomorrow, you would need to do some consultation with your rabbi. But when it comes to things like haircuts and so on, everybody permits haircuts to be taken um, on the day before Shavuot being that the day before Shavuot this year is Shabbat. We obviously cannot do that. And so in order to um, allow us to be ready and looking pristine and in perfect um, condition, come Shavuot, haircuts are permitted on Friday by everybody, some who permit even from tomorrow as well. So um, the period of mourning, these times of being a little bit down, have for many already come to an end. Some stopped already with Lagba Omer, some from Rosh Chodesh and onwards, which um, it was a couple of days ago. And then there is no doubt about these last few days where those uh, restrictions and those restraints are actually lifted and we're into a much more pleasant period of time. That then is immediately followed by Shabbat and a significant Shabbat in that it is the Shabbos that is right before Shavuot. It is um, Shabbat Parshat Bamidbar. We start reading the book of Numbers. Yes, last week we completed reading the book of Leviticus, the book of Vayikra. We now go into the book of Numbers, Bamidbar. We're in the desert. We are getting ourselves ready for the receiving of the Torah in earnest. And we have all the images of that and a beautiful Shabbat in that it heralds the arrival of Shavuot. It is Shabbat that goes into Yom Tov. Yes, it is known as, um, in colloquial terms, we're going now into a three-day uh, Yom Tov Shabbos, Shabbos Yom Tov. Shabbos followed immediately by Yom Tov. And then, of course, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night and Monday is the festival of Shavuot in earnest. The first day of Shavuot being on Sunday, the second day being on Monday, uh, Yom Tov Sheni, the second day of Yom Tov, which is celebrated in the Gola, in the diaspora, outside of the borders of Israel. And um, therefore, right up until then, we are in very, very special days. And of course, the day after a Chag, the day after a festival, is a significant day as well, which will be next week, Tuesday, which is called Isru Chag. It is the day following a festival in the throes of that festival and therefore significant as well. So every single day from now until next week, Wednesday, carries with it a great significance for each and every one of us. And um, how special it is to be able to be arriving at such a beautiful week that is up ahead. We're going to be spending some time 
today discussing various factors and various things pertaining to Shavuot. But it is very, very important to note that on either side of this special festival, there are days that are significant, that are joyous, when we're getting into the throes of it. And uh, we need to kind of get ourselves ready and steady and onto um, uh, the uh, stable line of feeling that we can really uh, ride this beautiful wave of simcha, of positivity, and the energy that Shavuot brings. And in a time where perhaps people are feeling a little bit down, we've come through a period of um, really restrictive sadness, difficulty uh, for the Jewish people um, pertaining to the Svirata Omer period and the loss of the students of Rabbi Akiva. And yes, there have been a number of hiccups along the way, even if we think about it in modern terms. But now... The scenery changes, the um, the clouds are lifted, the uh, pall of uh, difficulty and darkness and um, shade is now lifted and we need to allow that light to come shining through and let's make sure that it is uh, celebrated and it's done in the most beautiful fashion possible. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. And we'll come back, so let's have a little bit of a chat about Shavuot, about Shavuos, the festival that is coming up, of course, on Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, and Monday. What does it celebrate? Well, first and foremost, uppermost in our minds, is the fact that it celebrates the time of the giving of the Torah. The Torah was given to us, remember, seven weeks exactly after we had left Egypt. We were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and um, we woke up early in the morning, and there was uh, uh, thunder and lightning and all the wonderful things that came with that miraculous and incredible time. And we heard the Ten Commandments. We heard the Torah in synopsis. But we heard much more than that. The entire Torah was given to us. On that special day, and then the next day, Moshe Rabbeinu Moses left to go up, so to speak, to heaven, ascending the mountain in order to receive all the oral traditions, all the uh, law um, that was uh, elucidated and enumerated and spelled out by God to him up on the mountain, spending 40 days and 40 nights as he did up there, receiving all of that. Um, then to actually descend with the tablets of stone as they were hewn out of that stone, um, engraved in that stone um, 40 days later. But focusing as we are today just on Shavuot itself, that was the day on which as one man with one heart, as one people, men, women, and children, everybody, um, no matter what particular persuasion you were, no matter what tribe you belonged to, no matter what part of the Jewish people you were from, no matter whether you were successful or you felt that you weren't, no matter whether you were rich or you were poor, no matter whether you were big or you were small, everybody was present, everybody stood there together in the most incredible display of unity at the foot of Mount Sinai in order to receive the Torah as one person, receiving the Torah from God. Each and every one was gifted it, was given it in exactly the same fashion, exactly the same as the people standing around them. Nobody had precedence. Nobody was bigger or better. 
Nobody received more or less of the Torah. Everybody received it in an equal fashion. It was the most incredible moment in the whole of Jewish history, if we think about it. And it was something that then became our defining feature. Um, we've often thought about, I guess, what it is that makes us this chosen people. Well, we were chosen for the Torah, and we were chosen to keep the Torah, and we were chosen to perform God's mitzvot. Not necessarily were we chosen for our business acumen, and not necessarily were we chosen for our good looks, but we were chosen for the one thing that we said and that we committed to and that we promised at that time, and that was Naaseh Nishma. We will do it. We will keep it. We will perform God's mitzvot. We will do what is required from us. And we will investigate, we'll find out, we'll ask questions, we'll negotiate, we'll talk, we'll discuss, we'll make sure that we understand, but that's not going to dictate the way we're going to, that's not going to dictate our performance, that's not going to dictate the way that we actually carry out the requirements, the requests, the laws, the commandments, the things that God has asked us to do, we are standing here and making that commitment. And therefore, it is so appropriate that people should actually get together on this particular day and not only relive that moment in a superficial kind of a fashion, but really to think deeply on what we're actually doing when we come to shul on the first day of Shavuot and those Ten Commandments are read out again. And we are reminiscing in a way of the fact that we stood there and that we were all present at Mount Sinai because we believe that all our souls were actually present at Mount Sinai, that everybody was there, everybody received it in an equal fashion, to try not necessarily to close our eyes and imagine, but to try with open eyes to think about standing at Mount Sinai, receiving the Torah once again, and how we are standing there and making similar pledges and commitments, Com a commitment, I guess, for unity, a commitment for the fact that how wonderful it is to be part of the Jewish people and to be able to stand on Shavuot and say, this is where it all came from. This is where we stood like one man with one heart. This is where we had one focus. This was where we weren't distracted by sectarianism and we weren't distracted by different people saying different things. There was a common goal, a common focus, and there was something that was a bond of absolute unity in our attitude that everybody said, Naaseh Vanishma. We will do it, and we will then listen to the explanations. We'll then find out what it is actually all about. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, the fact that we made that commitment, we made that promise. And whether you feel it consciously or subconsciously, whether it is something that is uppermost in your mind or whether it's something that perhaps has been put, pushed, so to speak, to the back burners of your mind um, and your uh, psyche and your soul and your feeling, but if we just allow, enable that to come to the forefront once again, and that once again we can think about what it means to have made that promise, what it means to have made that commitment that we are going to keep God's Torah, that we are his chosen people for Torah, that we are the ones who have to bring this Torah to the rest of the world and enable the world to actually get into it and understand it and see the beauty, the grandeur, the wondrousness of the Torah as it is, that we make that commitment once again within ourselves and without ourselves in and around us on the day of Shavuot, on Sunday. It is something that is very powerful. It is something that is very meaningful. And it's something that is very important for us as a people and as individuals in the way that we move forward 
from Shavuot and into the rest of the year and into the rest of our lives um, that follow thereafter. And so it is really, really important that everybody, men, women, children, everybody, should actually be in shul. And the wonderful thing here is that um, while we don't have to actually travel to the foot of Mount Sinai, you can go just to a shul that's near you, right near your Home, right near your your vicinity, right in your suburb. There are so many. Thank God, Johannesburg is blessed with so many different options when it comes to shuls, and there are so many in so many different suburbs. Um, there is hardly a a, a suburb in the city that doesn't have a shul that you could go to, and one needs to try and. Be in shul on Sunday morning. Find out what time the Torah is read. Try and be there for the reading of the Torah together with your husbands, your wives, your children, your grandchildren, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents. Try and make sure that everybody is present in shul. And let's show this act of unity and this act of commitment and this real notion of the importance and how we see the importance of our whole existence emanating from and being part and parcel of uh, the giving of the Torah, of what Torah can do for us, has done for us, and will continue to do for us in the future. But before we get there to the actual day of Shavuot, there is a tradition on uh, Saturday night to spend the time on Saturday night learning Torah. Now, this has come from, and it's termed something called Tikkun Leil Shavuot. There is something about Tikkun. Tikkun meaning fixing. We're trying to rectify. We're trying to fix the night of Shavuot. Well, why was the night of Shavuot broken? Or what was broken? Or what was wrong? What is there that needs fixing? Well, there was something that needed fixing, we're told. And that is that it seems that the Jewish people were a little bit fashlofen. They were a little bit late in rising for the giving of the Torah. Now, can you imagine? It was the most momentous occasion that has ever transpired, that has ever been in history. The Jewish people knew that it was happening. In fact, they were working towards that for the seven weeks since they left Egypt. But in fact, they'd been working towards it for a long, lot longer than that. There were the ten plagues um, that spanned the year before they um, actually got out of Egypt. There was a lot of time to be contemplating and thinking about what it's going to be like and what will happen at the moment that God has chosen that we should receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. They were working towards that moment, that occasion. And yet we're told that the Jewish people did not wake up on time. They slept like babies. They slept wonderfully on the night before and uh, without the presence of an alarm clock, without the presence of uh, all sorts of mechanisms to wake you up, they overslept. Now, it seems very, very strange. How could it be that the entire Jewish people slept? You know, we all know that there are some people who are early risers. There are some people who uh, don't sleep late. There are some people who are up before dawn every day just as a matter of course. There are some people <coughs> who don't require as much sleep as anybody else. And there are some, obviously, who were caught up with the excitement. Could you imagine that excitement? I mean, when you've got an exciting occasion coming up, there are a lot of people who don't sleep anyway. You're restless and you're tossing and turning and you're not able to sleep even at the best of times. How is it possible that the entire Jewish people are criticized for the fact that we slept 
And therefore, there is a tradition until today that we have what we call Tikkun Leil Shavuot. We want to show that no God, it wasn't because we don't appreciate your Torah. No God, it wasn't. That we slept because um, we are uh, a little bit reluctant to perform those mitzvot and to learn and to study and so on. So we're going to show you. We're going to stay up all night learning Torah. We're going to stay up through the night and we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. That's how we're going to fix the night. That is going to be our tikkun. That is going to be the rectification of this past wrong. Well, was it so simple? Many of our sages suggest not. That in fact, the idea that the Jewish people slept was something that they actually took upon themselves to sleep. The idea of sleeping on the night of uh, Shavuot, on the night before Shavuot, was something that they had thought through and they had discussed and they thought about. Um, They called it wrong, but it was something that was not nearly as um, lacking in feeling or uh, lackadaisical as it may sound if one was to say that they overslept. It wasn't that they overslept. It was the fact that they actually slept. And the sleeping was part of the thinking and the philosophy that when one sleeps, the soul ascends a little bit higher than it does when you're awake. When you're awake, it's bound by the physical, by the material, by the body, and uh, the soul is held here in that kind of a fashion. When one sleeps, we believe that the soul ascends. The soul goes a little bit higher. It's much more in the spiritual realm. And they felt that if they wanted to really appreciate and really receive the Torah well, it would probably be best that they were actually sleeping, that their souls were really on high and they could see things in a much more spiritual fashion. But there's the mistake. God was giving us a Torah that was meant to be utilized, was meant to be brought down into and onto earth. It was meant to be brought into the physical, the material, to change this world, to elevate it, to uplift it. It was dafka. It was actually pertinently meant to be something that we took and brought into the physical and into the material. And that was the mistake we made. This wasn't something that God wanted us to have in our sleep. It wasn't something that he wanted to be given only on a spiritual level. This was something that had to come down to to a much more physical, material, um, um, a practical way of performance and of making sure that the Torah was integrated and inculcated into everything that we had and that we did and that we continue to do down here on earth. And so, therefore, Tikkun Leil is about learning Torah, but not necessarily for the fact that we were lazy and that we overslept, but rather for the fact that we have to try and learn perhaps in a way whereby we understand a little bit more and that it can be put to greater practical use in the performance of our mitzvot and the pursuit of changing this world and making it a much better place. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Probably one of the better known Dimensions of Shavuot is the fact that we eat milk foods on Shavuot. And the question is, why and when? Why do we eat milk foods and when do we actually have this eating of the milk foods? Um, you know, I think that it is with um, Jews and food that um, when we just mention food, you know, we get all excited and uh, we kind of overdo it maybe a little bit um, in the way we uh, take on board these foods and therefore somewhere, somehow we've kind of got it lost in the translation and uh, in the interpretation and it's just, well, blanket. Okay, the whole of Shavuot is milchik, it's milk foods, that's what it's all about. 
And really it isn't like that. Now let's first think about the reasons. Why is it that we eat milk foods on Shavuot? Well, there are a myriad of different reasons. There are so many. We're just going to mention a few of them. The first one, most commonly known, is that as we stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and we received the Torah on that particular day, it actually happened to be a Shabbat as well. It was Shabbat and Yom Tov. And on that day, the Torah given to the Jewish people, there was not much that we could do once we had received and we'd heard the idea of all the laws of kashrut and the fact that they had to be shechita, that they had to be a slaughter of, of, of animals. We weren't quite sure about the salting and soaking and the draining of the blood and getting rid of all of those things. And therefore, it was just a lot easier to um, for us, and uh, it became kind of the staple on that day that out of not knowing what we needed to do and how we needed to do it and not properly trained in all of these things, that we ate milchiks. Well, that's one interpretation. There are a number of others that are perhaps a little bit more spiritual, one of them being that Torah is like mother's milk. When you think about all the nutrients that a child ingests in its early days on earth, well, they're all contained in milk. If we think about how beautiful, how wonderful that is and the way that Hashem created and allowed children to be able to um, ingest everything they needed, they can't take anything more uh, solid, uh, more difficult to digest. These are the things um, that uh, th- these are the only things that they can actually um, swallow, that they can actually digest. And therefore, likewise, Torah on uh, for a Jew and particularly on Shavuot, is um, the milk, the complete nutrition for our bodies, for our souls, and so on, and therefore the symbolic uh, link between milk and Torah. If we think about it, there are a number of others. If we take the word chalav, chalav is made up of three letters, a chet, a lamed, and a bet. If we take the numerical value of those, well, we have chet is eight, lamed is 30, that's 38. And if we take the bet, which is two, we have 40. Yes, 40 days, 40 nights. Remember that, that Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain in order to receive the Torah symbolism there as well. There are places where Mount Sinai is called Har Gavnunim, literally cheesy mountain, the mountain of cheese. I'm not sure if that's because of the way it looked or because it was something like that um, animal providing the sustenance in a way to the entire Jewish people in the image of the milk. Um, feeding us like Torah does and provides us all our digestive requirements um, as we mentioned before. There are a number of other reasons as well as we said time doesn't permit us to really go into all of them but for whatever reason there is this concept of eating milk foods on Shavuot. Now when is it? Well the real time for eating milk foods on Shavuot is immediately after we've received the Torah based on the fact that it was then that we heard that uh, there were all sorts of uh, restrictions uh, pertaining to meat and milk, etc., 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 and therefore it is after the reading of the Torah on the first day of Shavuot that we should eat milk foods. For all the other meals, including after that one, we're supposed to have a proper Yom Tov meal. Now, proper Yom Tov meal means that we should have fish, we should have meat, we should have chicken, and so on, like you would do on any other Shabbat or any other Yom Tov. Um, milk foods are not considered as being Yom Tov dick enough, even though they may be expensive, and even though it may be something uh, that uh, everybody has told you is really, really modern and wonderful, and uh, so on. It is actually inaccurate. It's actually incorrect. We should make sure that we eat proper Yom Tov meals. Uh, 
uh, for the both in the nights of uh, Yom Tov, of Shavuot, on Saturday night and Sunday night, as well as both lunches on uh, Sunday and Monday. They should be proper Yom Tov meals. Just we add an extra meal, so to speak, um, which is either the brocha, the kiddush, or a meal at uh, before lunchtime on Sunday, which at which we eat milchik of foods, whether they're cheese blintzes or cheesecakes or anything that is milchik, that is the real time um, in, uh, that we should actually do that. So it's not a blanket, all milk um, over the period of the festival of Shavuot, but it is, and it does pertain to first day, Sunday, where we should have something milchik or a milchik meal at some time after Torah reading. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Okay, one of the other important features of Shavuot, of course, is the link with Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite woman who became Jewish. An incredible story, a beautiful story, and there are many who read it or at least study it over the festival of Shavuot. And there's this very strong link with Ruth. Now, there are a number of reasons. Reason number one is that Ruth was a convert, and in a way we are all converting, or we all converted to Judaism um, and accepted the Torah, much like a convert does at the time of Shavuot all those years ago when we stood at Mount Sinai. And so there's the symbol of a Ruth. There is also the idea that if we take the word Torah um, and we think about the the letters in the word Torah, there you see right away that there is a similarity between the word Torah and the word root. Well, if we think about um, what the difference actually is, you know, there were several mitzvot that um, we have um, beforehand that we had before we got to Mount Sinai, and not the least of which was the seven mitzvahs that were given to the sons of Noah, the Noahide laws as they're known. That's all people have to keep. And so actually at Mount Sinai, we took upon ourselves um, the um, additional laws. How many additional laws would there have been if we take seven away from the 613? Well, we get 606. And interestingly enough, if you take the letters of the name Rut, the Resh stands for 200. The Vav stands for 6. And the Taf, the last letter of the name Rut, is 400. And so the word Rut spells 606. But we also know that Shavuot is the day on which we actually celebrate and commemorate the Yorzite, the birthday and the Yorzite of King David. King David, the king of all kings, the founder of the uh, Davidic dynasty, the fact that Mashiach is going to be and needs to come from the house of David. Well, we're looking back at his ancestry, and we see something amazing in his ancestry, and that is that he came directly from Ruth, from this Moabite woman who converted to Judaism, who said famously, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, as we read out in that story of Ruth, which is read or studied over Shavuot. And we're thinking about the parentage, the lineage, the heritage, um, the um, uh, great-great-great-great-grandparents of uh, King David and actually of Mashiach all come from 
this incredibly powerful image, um, Rut, Rut the Moabites, who converted and became Jewish. And what a wonderful image it is, actually, and linked as it does with Shavuot. And there are a number of other reasons, um, of course, beyond the scope of uh, today's program. But um, as usual, it has been wonderful to be in your company, to talk to you today, to share some thoughts about Shavuot. We want to wish you all. As I usually do, a great rest of the week, and of course, the Shloshes Yimei Hagbola, getting ourselves ready for the Yom Tov, for the Chag of Shavuot, a great Shabbat up ahead, and then a very good Yom Tov, a Chag Sameach, for the coming Chag, for the coming festival of Shavuot. Please, God, we should be able to absorb the Torah in an inner fashion, in a way whereby it's not just superficial, it's not just um, um, outwardly, it's not just externally, it's not just in the things that we do and we say and we see, but rather in an internal fashion, because ultimately that was what the giving of the Torah was all about. It was given to us in a way whereby it was totally, and it needs to be totally and absolutely absorbed in an inner fashion. And please God, with great simcha, with great joy as well. We'll see you, please God, again next week on Judaism 101.9.